General Baptist Ministries has been called by God to exist for the church. We aren't here so General Baptist can help us do ministry. We are here to help the church do ministry, to fulfill its commission by God to make disciples of all nations and preach the good news to every man, woman, boy, and girl. We partner with churches because we believe that we can do more together than any one person or church can do alone. I'm Dustin Thompson, Vice President for Regional Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Doing Together podcast. Doing Together is about sharing the ways that General Baptists partner together so that your church can fulfill its calling. This week, we have the privilege to sit in on an interview that Pastor Mark Powell, our Vice President for Global Missions, got to hold during the middle of an Asian mission experience. Pastor Mark and President Danny just recently got back from touring uh, across multiple of the mission fields that we have uh, in the Asian Pacific Theater uh, and got the opportunity to have interviews with Stephen Dame, Skylar and Kathleen Brantley, and Joyce Porcadilla Rubia. And today we get to sit in, lean in, and listen to not only hear what God is doing across the Asian Pacific ministries, but also to hear what God's doing in these lives of missionaries and in the, uh, the ministries they get to be a part of. So let's lean in, be, be prepared to hear what God's doing, and be inspired together of the great works happening uh, in this mission field. All right, we're here in Saipan at the Saipan Community Church. And uh, we're visiting with Pastor Stephen Dame, who is uh, uh, both a missionary and pastor. He's a missionary pastor here at Saipan Community Church. And so, uh, Steve, if you wouldn't mind, help people understand um, who you are and your role in the church and, and the location of the church uh, so that people can kind of get an understanding of why we're interviewing you in relation to General Baptist Ministries and Asians and Pacific Islanders. Okay. Um, so my name is Steve Dame. I'm from originally from Western Kentucky. I uh, grew up in the Concord General Baptist Church in Manitou. Um, I've pastored churches in Kentucky and in Indiana in my ministry and um, been here on Saipan for about uh, two and a half years. Um, I am the senior pastor of Saipan Community Church. Um, Saipan Community Church is a very multi, a multicultural church. Um, it's made up of so many different um, ethnicities and cultures, um, and I could list them. We've got every, we've got some Russians in our church, a lot of Filipinos, um, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, um, local Chamorros, some Palauans. I mean, just it's amazing when you look out on Sunday morning and see all these different groups of people. Yeah, so what is that like for you as pastor whenever you stand? Um, and you're from Kentucky and uh, pastored, you know, in the Midwest and in good-sized churches but smaller communities. So what is that like for you when you look out and you see uh, uh, the, the people gathered on any particular Sunday at Saipan Community Church? What's that, what's that like for you? Uh, well, it's almost hard to describe and it's something I never, ever thought that I would experience as a pastor because where I pastored in the Midwest, um, there was very little um, diversity in your congregation. And I can remember, you know, the very first Sunday I was here standing in front of the congregation and they were singing and I just remember thinking, this is what heaven's going to look like. Uh, just a really, really unique experience and feeling and 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Now, uh, I know you had a baptism on Easter Sunday. Yes. And how many were baptized? We baptized nine on Easter Sunday. So just out of curiosity, um, you baptized nine that, that Sunday, that Easter Sunday. And you may not know the exact ethnicity of everybody that was baptized, but, but was there a variety of people who were baptized? Yes. So I know that um, uh, I baptized the head of a household, a father, um, who um, he is Filipino. But what was really unique is he wanted to be baptized last year and could not because he is on dialysis, has to do dialysis um, every week, um, and his port fell out. And he said, Pastor, before they put this back in, I want you to baptize me. <laughs> so that was really neat. Um, but So he was Filipino. There was a, a family of a mom and several children that I baptized that are local tomorrow. So that that's really neat because we don't get to we don't get to experience that a lot here um, most of our tomorrow families in our community are catholic and so um, that's just that was really unique for us to be able to do that um, i was trying to think i think the the other families were filipino as well but I can tell you last year, it was totally different where we baptized some, um, a family that was Chamorro. We baptized um, another family that was uh, Filipino. There was um, a, a local Chamorro young man that I baptized. Um, there was a, uh, a Palawan lady that was baptized. I mean, there was a lot of Pacific Islanders last year. Now, there are other congregations that worship in conjunction with Saipan Community Church as well. Yes. And uh, historically, there have been, been at least two other congregations. And could you kind of talk about those congregations as well? Right. So um, there is a Palawan congregation that meets at 8 a.m. before our service at 10. Um, and Pastor Ted, um, and I always struggle pronouncing his last name, but Pastor Ted is an amazing man. He's been here for years as the pastor of that congregation. And Saipan Community Church sees them as part of us, even though they're, um, they're really not. They're their own independent church. But whenever we do special celebrations like on Easter, they dismiss to join our sunrise service and our 10 o'clock service. Same thing at Christmas. They're part of our Christmas feast. They like to share and um, doing their own cultural songs or dances and bringing their cultural dishes to our uh, fellowships like that. So they're, they're a very important part of us. Um, up until COVID hit, we also had a Chukis uh, congregation. Uh, pa Pastor Safe was the um, uh, leader of that congregation. Um, but due to some illness um, and some splintering that took place during um, COVID and them coming back late, their congregation currently is not meeting in our facility, but they are still a few of them that are meeting, but they're currently meeting in a home. So, and I may not say this correctly, Chuk, uh, they, they're, I know they're called Chukis, right. the island is Chuk, is that right. correct? Right. That's an, an island in this region as well, not part of the Marianas, is it? Or it's not part of the Marianas, but it is part of considered Micronesia. And then Palau also would be a, an island in this region, in the Pacific region, that's not part of Micronesia. That is, well, it's part of Micronesia, just okay. not a part of Mariana Islands. I see. Right. So... You have uh, those congregations that are meeting, uh, or were meeting, uh, the Palau is still meeting, in conjunction with the uh, Saipan Community Church, which has 
some Chinese and some Filipino and some Chamorro and yes. and uh, Russian. Um, were there other Southeast Asians that there's that some Indian, Korean, there's some uh, South Korean and as well as Indian. Um, there are a few uh, Taiwanese that come. So we act, like I said, it's, it's really unique in how many different cultures um, worship together. Now sometimes it can be challenging um, with that many different cultures trying to blend, but so far for years, Saipan Community Church has made it work. It has indeed. Now some of these people, although they're not native to the island, they're not Chamorro, some of the, some of the people in the church, Filipinos and some of the others have been here for quite a long time, yes. right? Um, some have been here even like 20 years or more right. as part of this congregation. Would you, would you say that's the majority of the people that you're privileged to minister to? I don't know if there would be a majority or not. It would probably be pretty close, but we do have, like you said, s several families that have been here for, for um, many years. We're starting to see more of those families, though, that have been here for that length of time, either um, get their paperwork and their green cards and be able to go to the states. Uh, we've had several families just in the last year do that that have been here for many, many years. Um, some for health reasons, just because of the health system here on the island is not um, really equipped for a lot of medical conditions that um, seniors would face. And so they would go usually to the West Coast to try to get areas where there's better health care. We've got another family that's probably in the next year going to be leaving and doing that simply for health care reasons. Um, and then others um, um, have chosen to go back to um, the Philippines or even in some cases uh, China or Korea. So. And then you also have another segment of the, of the congregation that's very transient. Yes. And would, would, that, would that possibly, would they be about the same number of, of people who've been here for a number of years and the number of people who are just kind of here temporarily? Or what would that balance look like? And I'm sure it changes. It, it changes quite a bit, but I would say it's fairly evenly split the more I think about it. Um, but it does seem like um, there are so, is, congregation is very transient in nature, much like you would experience, I would think, in a military community. Because a lot of the, especially when you, you, you get, um, I don't know a good way to put it, but if you get Americans that come here, mm -hmm. they usually come on a two-year contract. And so they'll come and serve their two years and then they'll leave. And in the process, they, you know, many of them, because um, they may not have family or friends here, they're just coming for work and they try to find community. And many of them, you know, end up at Saipan Community Church and they really weren't even looking for a church. They were just looking for community. And they'll tell you, you know, I haven't been in church in years, but you know, there's something that drew me to this place. And it's right on the side of the road and on one side and a beach on the other. And it just kind of stands out. Our location is amazing and people drive by and want to stop and see what it's like and then become a part of the community. So you may have a Filipino come in for a couple of years or a Chinese worker come in for a couple of years, Korean come in, just maybe just here for a couple of years. What, what is your vision and passion for the time that you have those people in your congregation realizing that it's very possible that they, especially in the context of China, they may not be from a Christian region or area, 
this is, you know, their one opportunity to hear the gospel, and, and you know they're going back to China at some point. So what is your passion and vision for, for any of those uh, local islanders, whether Palawan or Chukis or the Southeast Asian people that come here? What's, what, what do you see? What's your vision for those folks? So our vision um, would be that uh, through the ministries of Saipan Community Church that they would not only hear the gospel, but um, that they would um, hear the gospel, um, accept Christ, and would be discipled so that um, they, wherever they return back to, they can take the gospel with them. And um, so uh, discipleship is a very important part of what we have to continue to do here and also build upon. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in the, in the long term, I would love to see there to be leadership training where, um, and I've said this since I came here, but where they're able to go and not just share the gospel, but hopefully be able to plant churches in, in the communities that they go back to. So I'm sure that these folks would not think of themselves this way. Uh, they probably would not think of themselves as missionaries. But the reality is that as they are as they are evangelized and discipled here at Saipan Community Church, basically this church has the potential of sending out a small army of missionaries. Yes, um, where, where we are located, and because of the um, immigration uh, that takes place and the, the visas that are allowed, um, what we can do in this region is just. I, th- I think unequaled and unparalleled. It, it is really an amazing thing, um, and, and just this is just one small thing. But you know, we just come through a, a crusade um, here on the island, the Pirate Team Crusade. And as we were doing follow up, one of the ladies that took us a little bit, she'd come forward, made a, a commitment to Christ. And as we were doing the follow up, couldn't get a hold of her. And turns up when we finally did, she was in China, and she had just been here on vacation visiting. Wow and heard the gospel and is now back in China. Yeah, that's Um, amazing. That's incredible. It is. As people are listening to this conversation and and they're beginning to get this sense of of the potential of Saipan Community Church uh, to to reach people, and you have a school here also, right? Yes. And in in the school there's a wide variety of of, uh, Islanders and Southeast Asians as well. Is that That correct? That is correct. and there's potential for much more. Yes. So what, what do you see as limiting the potential of Saipan Community Church, Saipan Community School, uh, to even have a broader reach than it presently has? Okay. Um, so we were um, hit pretty hard by Super two, Typhoon U2 in 2018. Um, there was a lot of damage done, not just to our island, um, but there was a lot of damage done to Saipan Community Church and the school. And um, it's been very difficult to rebuild. Uh, we're finally in the beginning stages of that, and we're seeing some, some neat things happen. But as we begin to look at all of it, that just the finances of it is, is, is very restricting at this point. Um, and the school, uh, the school looks kind of in a, in a, in a state of disrepair. There has even been rumors among the Korean community here on the island that we were going to shut down due to the, you know, the school not being repaired. And so those things really limit us. And, um, 
you'd have to understand, you know, being a Christian school, we have this unique opportunity to bring these students in and share the gospel with them. And they get, and then the families get to come to, to different activities that the school or the church does. And we get to share the gospel with them that way. Um, and again, it's really unique in the sense that we have parents from, you know, South Korea that will actually sometimes send their children here to live. And even Chinese will send some of their children to live here just to go to school in our school. And in the process, they get to hear the gospel. And at some point they'll leave and go back. And so the mission of the school is very important as well. But all of the, the damage from the typhoon has been really hindering in that. From conversations we've had this 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 weekend that that uh, uh, Danny Donovan and I have been here visiting with you, um, there was mention that that with with the, with the proper facilities and uh, and with the appearance that uh, uh, that would give a better forward face than what presently you see when you come to Saipan Community Church and School, that there is even the potential of having twice as many students potentially yes. as, as what you presently have. And so uh, the repair of facilities is obviously a tremendous witness mm -hmm. uh, for the church and the school in the community, but not just a witness uh, of the church and school, it, it, it becomes a barrier to, to greater witness. That's right. And so it's really essential that, uh, that we are able to uh, uh, to make the necessary repairs to bring all these things to the capacity that they have. That, that, that is correct. Um, and so um, we were talking as well to, uh, today, looking kind of at the facilities, and, 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 and then, of course, we're talking about a situation that's been going on for four years. Right. And, um, and, and still so much work to be done. And as we were meeting with you and your board president and, and, uh, and Amanda Dunn, the principal of the, of the school, uh, we were, in, a, in, in addition to, to funds that are already committed from other sources, there's about a $400,000 shortfall, is that what I recall? Yes, and, and that still won't repair everything that needs to be repaired, but, but that will at least um, make, things look, um, make things look a lot better and make things function better. Um, and so, yeah, we were looking at. So with that investment in the facilities here and the potential it has to greatly increase the capacity of the school and the school population, because there's also the idea of maybe at some point adding a high school. Yes. Um, that that would be an, give the church and school an even greater impact in Southeast Asia and the Pacific region. That, that is correct. And one of the things that um, it's hard for us to understand in our culture, but in South Korea, they actually give um, moms a year um, family leave after they have a child, and they can choose to take it any time. And so what we've experienced um, with the church and the school is um, all of a sudden a new family will show up with a child that's six, seven, eight years old, and they're finally taking their, their family leave from having that child will come here and stay for a whole year and put their child in our school while they're here on, on their family leave. Wow, tremendous opportunity. Yes. Well, Steve, thank you for the opportunity to, to, to share your heart, to hear your heart, and, uh, and 
We certainly hope that this ministry, I mean, it's 70, been here 75 years, yes. and I, I, can't, I, I don't think we can even begin to imagine the impact. The entire Philippine ministry that we have, 300 plus churches, began right here on Saipan. And so we know that impact, but the impact that is unknown is, uh, is really phenomenal to think about of the people who've come here, received Christ, and been taught uh, to follow, be followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, and the thing of it is, moving forward, we can reach all of this, this part of Asia from Saipan. It's amazing how the gospel can go forth, not just the Pacific, the Pacific Islanders here in our region, but uh, we send people um, back to the Philippines. Uh, we've sent people um, to China. We've sent people back to South Korea. Uh, we've sent people to Taiwan. And we've sent a lot of people to Southern California and Washington, which I realize isn't Asia or the Pacific Islanders. But we've done that all that just in the last, last year. Wow, that's amazing. Well, thank you, Pastor Steve. We appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be talking to uh, Dr. Joyce Porcadilla Rubia today. She is the president of General Baptist Bible College in Davao City in the Philippines. And our conversation is going to focus on General Baptist Ministries and, and our outreaches to uh, the Asia Pacific region. Uh, and so, uh, Dr. Joyce, we're glad to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. That's probably the last time I'll call you Dr. Joyce. <laughs> um, Dr. Porcadilla Rubia is the president of uh, GBBC, and and uh, Joyce, would you describe for our listeners the ministry of GBBC? Okay, so the General Baptist Bible College was established in 1965. It was an answer to the call of the national leaders at that time to have a training school, because at that time when the ministry here in the Philippines started, there was no training school for um, leaders, pastors to be exact. So that was when the time, that was the time when the Foreign Mission Board um, started this ministry here. And um, it was mainly to train and develop leaders to become pastors so that we can advance the ministry here in the Philippines as. Um, there were already churches at that time, but there was no training school for um, potential leaders as we expand the ministry here in the Philippines. So from that beginning, um, how would you describe the effectiveness of GBBC in the, in the area uh, surrounding Davao City? Well, it, has, it was, I mean, as it started and as there have been, as there were graduates, so these graduates were um, assigned to areas like here in Davao City and the neighboring towns in Davao City, most specifically in the, it used to be Davao del Norte area. So that was, that was described before or called before as like the Pioneer Association. So most of the graduates of GBBC started off um, planting churches in the Agusan and Davao del Norte areas. So that's practically where the General Baptist in the Philippines started. And it, the ministry of GBBC was impactful then because um, that's where our graduates went after graduation. They went to these areas in Agusan del Sur and um, Davao del Norte and even here in Davao City, the, the neighboring communities even outside the heart of the city. 
these were the, the areas that the graduates of GBBC penetrated. Uh, you just celebrated an anniversary, so how old is GBBC now? GBBC is 58 years old now. And in those 58 years, uh, the, the General Baptist Church of the Philippines has gone from, do you know how many original districts there were when the Bible College was founded? I would say there was just one. That was just a pioneer district as far as I can remember. There was just the pioneer, it was in, it was called association. There was just one, the pioneer association. And then later on, they mm -hmm. started used calling them districts instead yes. of associations. Mm -hmm. And now then, how many total districts are there? There are like 13 official districts, and then there's like one that is um, starting to be organized. So, but officially right now, there's 13. So from one association, and then later they started calling them districts to 13 districts, and from a handful of churches to we just had a general assembly meeting so how many churches it's over 300 churches over 300 churches yes. so without a question the the only way to empower that kind of a church planting movement and network is by providing leaders yes absolutely and so gbbc has been the primary the only path through which pastors have entered most of our General Baptist churches? Yes, uh, during the early, when, of course, when GBBC started and for, uh, for so long, it was only GBBC. There was no other training school other than GBBC. But after a few years, um, a GBBC graduate had a vision to start a ministry in Matigsalog area. And because there was a ministry that was started there, churches were started to be planted, and then the tribal area was penetrated as well. So there was, they started also, the mission also started the Matigsalog Bible Institute. So right, and then later on, the Tiboli Bible Institute. So essentially, um, over the years, there were three uh, training schools. However, in the past, I guess, more than 10 years, um, we were left with just GBBC and MBI. In order to help the, uh, those who are listening to us understand the kind of the demographics of all that, uh, the Philippines has had uh, shifts of population just like every other place in the world has had shifts of population. Yes. And so um, the population shift in this part of the Philippines was a group from what's called the Visayan region to Mindanao, Mindanao. where our churches are located. So yes. the original ministry was, would it have been primarily focused on those Visayan people who, who came to Mindanao? Yeah, what happened was that um, Vince Lencino, who started, who was our key person who started the ministry here in, in the Philippines, was actually originally from Iloilo City. Uh, that's in the Visayas. And then um, when he met um, Ed Stevens in, on the island of Saipan, and then he was... He was sent to Oakland City University to get training. When he moved back to the Philippines after that, he tapped his relatives who were from the Visayas who moved to Mindanao. So that's how the ministry of General Baptist started. It started in Mindanao, but through people who were originally from the Visayas. So there were these Visayan people who had been part of a people shift to Mindanao yes. from the Visayans, and then there were the indigenous people of Mindanao. Yes. 
And so the early, the early success was primarily among the Visayan population. Yes. But we were missing the indigenous population mm -hmm. up until the beginning of MBI. Yes. So when one of the GBBC graduates, Angel Digdigan, um, saw that there was a potential in the Matigsalog area, he uh, built a very good relationship with one of the datus there. And one of the datus was very welcoming. And in fact, he donated some of his property where MBI is now situated. So that's where the tribal ministry started under the Gerald Baptist here in the Philippines. And so uh, some of these districts are primarily located in those indigenous areas? Yes, we have a number of districts under uh, those indigenous areas. So through the ministry of GBBC, the, both the Visayan and the indigenous population have been impacted because of what's happening at General Baptist Bible College. Yes, absolutely. So that's kind of where we are today. Uh, there's been great success reaching out to the indigenous populations, establishing a new Bible Institute. So where do you see it going from here? What's the future? Of course, we, we, we are very aware of what Jesus has commanded us, that um, we ought to be disciple makers, not just in our own Jerusalem, but all throughout of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in our context where we are, of course, we want to be witnesses in, on the island of Mindanao, island of Visayas, island of Luzon. And as doors are opening right now for the Philippines, we also want, by the grace of God and in His right and perfect time, be witnesses to the areas that are opening to the Philippines through the Association of Southeast Asia Nations. One of the things that both GVBC and MBI uh, focus on is practical ministry. And, and so explain how it is that you take students in ministerial training and provide for them field work training. Yeah, um, we're very in, uh, intentional about our students not being able to, not just being able to get training inside the classrooms. So we allow them to have practical experience, practical ministry experience. So what we do, both at GBBC and MBI, that while they're in school, even as, even as early as being a freshman in school, we assign them weekend ministries. So usually if you're a freshman, we assign you to a church with an existing pastor. So you observe, you learn, and then you involve yourself in the ministry. As you become, uh, as you become, if as you you know grow older in the education system, become second year or sophomore, junior. Most especially when you reach your your final year in school, we have um, an internship or a practicum. Uh, during that time, that's normally like. Um, one semester, we assign a student to a district, and then the district works with us and assigns that student to a particular church. That church could be a church that does not have a pastor or has an existing pastor. But the thing here is that we allow the students to already have a feel of the ministry, what's going on in the churches and the respective ministries within the church, so that when they graduate, they won't be shocked or have like be new to the system. So we also give them opportunities to be involved in mission, mission trips, mission outreaches, 
so that they will also have the opportunity to experience what it is to really be on the field. So in this process, somehow the college and the institute as well are is able to instill within uh, the students a passion for church planting and church growth. For example, I was with Davao City Church this morning, Pastor Kenneth Mapulto, mm -hmm. and I asked him about his if he had an associate pastor, and he said, no, his associate pastor was now planting a church. Yes. What is it that you're doing? And, and, and at the General Assembly, we notice that a full 10% of churches are involved in planting another church, or what yes. you call open works, mm -hmm. uh, which is phenomenal. So out of 300 churches, there's 30 plus open works, uh, which is amazing. So what is it you're doing, do you think, that creates that kind of passion and desire to plant churches? Well, GBCPI, for that matter, really, um, has been intentional to encourage the respective districts that one mother church should at least have a daughter church. So it's like encouraging each church to reach one. So, so and that has been repeatedly, even in my home church, that has been, a, 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 you know, a, an encouragement. Our local church, even my home church, Every single church in every district is being encouraged to at least have an open work or to have a church plant or a daughter church. It's more commonly known here like mother church and a daughter church. So that puts a lot of pressure on you as well, too, because that's a, I mean, if every church plants one church, that's a, a great need for leadership Absolutely. as well. Yeah. Um, now, whenever you think about the Pacific region, there's also a large number of Filipinos in both our churches on Guam mm -hmm. and our, our church on Saipan. And you have visited both of those locations. Um, what are your thoughts on, on future potential ministry from the Philippines to the Pacific region? Well, the Philippines being known as a country of exporters, uh, we don't export goods, we export people. Uh, Filipinos are big on, are known to have a lot of overseas Filipino workers. In fact, 10% of our population, of the total population of the Philippines is outside the Philippines, living abroad, working abroad as Filipino overseas workers. Now, Guam and Saipan are not that far from the Philippines geographically. And so there are a lot of Filipinos in those areas who have, uh, who have lived there, worked there, some even plan to retire there already. So if just looking at that, there's a potential um, target that we can reach in these areas. Like just thinking about what happened in, on the island of Saipan. When we started the Saipan Community Church, we saw that there was a growing population of Filipino workers. And so the Saipan Community Church with the Foreign Mission Board saw this potential. And that's where the Filipino congregation through the Vesper service was, was started. So just looking at, at that model, there is, there is still this potential in both islands that we can still establish Filipino congregations in these areas because we do have existing Filipinos there. And if we can reach other nationalities through the Filipinos there, that would be a wonderful, wonderful ministry opportunity for all of us as General Baptists. Now, uh, Filipinos have uh, ministry opportunities, mission opportunities in other Southeast Asian nations yes. as well. Why, what makes 
the Philippines so pivotal in, in Southeast Asia as far as um, outreach and missions? Yeah, Philippines being part of the Association of Southeast Asia Nations together with nine other countries like Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar, um, Vietnam, Thailand. Um, when, when we go to these countries, we don't need like visas. We, we, if we can go there, we just need a passport and we'll be able to go to these countries. And just talking about like, for example, Singapore, there's a lot of Filipino workers on, the, on, on Singapore. And we have even, we have some GBB, GBBC graduates and even former GBBC employees who are now in these areas. So um, if we tap on these people who are already there, even some of our relatives are there, if we can tap on these people and intentionally you know, involve them in starting a ministry, we do have that wonderful opportunity to reach um, these countries. Yeah, that's an amazing thing to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So as the church has grown, there are, uh, of course, a lot of people as, as society changes, as the Philippines changes, just like every other country, there are, there are, there are ingrown people uh, within the churches who want to go on ministry but are not at the place in their life where they can just move to Davao City and, and go to the Bible College. Yes. You recently launched a new program uh, to help people uh, to focus on ministry. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, we are thankful um, that the General Baptist Church of the Philippines Incorporated, or GBCPI, um, together, of course, with GBBC, um, because we all know that leadership development is very vital and that um, we see the growing number of um, churches through the, the outreach programs of our uh, local churches, we saw that there's a great need of leaders. And as you mentioned a while ago, that we do have a lot of potential leaders in our respective churches, but they do not have the proper training. And so, but they also could not uh, attend GBBC because GBBC's, GBBC is set up in a traditional classroom setting. So um, just recently, we launched this program called General Baptist Ministerial Institute of the Philippines. This is to provide uh, training to our existing church leaders who are not necessarily pastors, but who could be lay people, who could be professionals already, and who want to pursue um, formal theological education, but it will be on a, in a form of a modular class, like distant learning. So we're thankful that um, this, that we could finally start this, and we are excited because there's already a number of people who have expressed interest to sign up to the program. Because if we rely only on GBBC and MBI, our program takes four years, although the MIP also takes four years. But then the fact that there are opportunities for professionals already to, uh, to acquire formal theological training or ministerial training, um, we have more people whom we can develop. And it's not just limited to the very young people. We, we, we can tap young adults or even those who are even outside the, the college age level. So 
we're happy about that because um, now there is a program that could address to that need that we greatly have here in the Philippines, which is the need for leaders. You also have a good number of churches that are led by deacons yes. at this point, mm -hmm. as I understand it. Uh, and so even like a deacon that feels the desire to go take that next step in ministry and maybe become the pastor of the local congregation, they could also enroll in this program and yes. get the training they need? Uh-huh. Deacons, that, that's, uh, we encourage deacons to also pursue further education uh, so that they would also, you know, uh, just also with the need to satisfy the presbytery requirements. So that would be very helpful for our churches who are led by deacons that um, soon, sooner than later they'll be able to be formally ordained and become um, the pastors of the churches. It might surprise some of our listeners to know the basic educational requirements expected by the Presbytery here for ordination. And we just had this conversation this week. So uh, in this program, uh, it, how many hours are, are in the program itself? Uh, 72 units, so that is um, 72 times three units. <laughs> and the Presbytery set a minimum requirement for Ordination as well. And how many hours was that? The the, um, the minimum requirement was 54, but during their National Presbytery meeting, I think they approved to make it aligned with the Ministerial Institute um, educational requirements. That is 72 units. So they're going to go ahead and move from 54 units of preparation to 72 units just to qualify for ordination. Yes, that's what was approved during that meeting. So that's pretty amazing um, uh, for us to think about how well-trained the ministry is here in the Philippines. Uh, well, Dr. Joyce Porcadilla-Rubia, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to share about the ministry here in the Philippines. And uh, we're praying for you and GBBC and MBI and this new program as well, which you're calling GB... MIP, Ministerial Institute of the Philippines. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm here in um, Agat, the community of Agat in Guam at Agat Community Church. And I have uh, Skylar and Kathy Brantley with me this evening. They are serving as missionaries here to Guam. And we're certainly glad to have you guys with us. Great for you to be here. Thank you. Um, how long have you guys been serving here? A year and four months now. A year and four months. So um, remind people a little bit about the journey that brought you here. We initially started our journey thinking that we were going to go to the Philippines. Um, we visited there and really enjoyed the people and the area and the ministry that was presented uh, to us. During our journey through deputation uh, was when we were faced with COVID. Uh, so we were delayed because of COVID and were not able to travel to the Philippines. During our wait, God presented the opportunity to visit Guam and the, um, the opportunity to potentially reopen Agat Community Church. So the church here had closed. Yes. Was there anything 
particular particular about about your experience that kind of just affirmed or confirmed that this is where God wanted you to be? I think when we first saw the church, we looked at it, and it was definitely like a diamond in the rough. And I always, God has never given us anything easy. My, my family, we've always had to, God's always gave us working opportunities. But something that really kind of happened after we moved in, started cleaning up and fixing things up and started doing yard maintenance. And it's the little things we look for confirmation. Kathy's confirmation might be a little different than mine, but I kept finding marbles in the yard outside. I never found a marble in the church. And I was kind of, as I cleaned up, thought about it, and I was like, huh, I come all the way to Guam to find my marbles. And so, and as it went along before, for the dedication of the church, I started, thinking, I started thinking about Elijah, how he lost his marbles and ran. And so it was that story and find the marbles that, Sounds weird, but I found solace of what God wanted us. And then actually about a month ago, we were down in the ocean, and Kathy goes, oh, look what I found. Here's a marble in the ocean. It's blue. I was like, no way. And so it was, that's my most special marble. And it's, it's just, and then the way the community has took us in here, I mean, it's like God's picked us up and set us down, and they just has took us in here, and it just, I don't know. It's just, it's it's a perfect fit. Kathy, do you have anything to add for that? Well, after talking to Jigo Baptist Church and the fate of Agat Church was in limbo um, before we came to visit. And they were debating whether or not to keep the property and keep the church. And they had a meeting with their elders and they were praying over what to do. And during that process, we contacted them through the mission um, office, through headquarters, um, and presented the opportunity for us to come and visit as potential missionaries. And so when we got here and found out that they had just had a meeting about potentially selling the church and property, and we called. Um, and so to me, that was God just putting those two things together. Uh, the amount of work that Jigo Baptist did to help us to open this church back up to minister to the people of Agat was just a relationship that you could never imagine. And so to me, those things have been the greatest confirmation that God was in this whole process. So the focus of our podcast is on General Baptist Ministries and our uh, ministry efforts to Asian Pacific Islanders. And so let's begin with just kind of an overview of Guam itself. What, what, are the, what are the major population groups on Guam? We have Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Filipino, Chuk, um, Yap. Okay, uh, kind of help, help uh, the listeners understand what, what Chuk is, what Yap is. The Micronesian Islands, so they're okay. actually south of Guam. So another cluster of islands. Um, yes, another cluster of islands um, that they come here to work and to eventually get their uh, U.S. citizenship and be able to travel uh, away from Guam throughout the U.S. that way. And are there other people groups here as well? The local Chamorro group is the native to the island. 
And uh, here in Agate, we have a large population of Chamorro because where we live is starts the southernmost, it starts the more rural aspect of village life. And so we everybody here does speak English. Uh, some of the older people have uh, a thick accent, but everybody does speak English here isn't expected to speak English. So we don't have to worry about learning another language so it doesn't hinder the, hinder the gospel. But uh, a lot of the people here in this village are Chamorro, Filipinos, and a few Koreans. So when you think of the island as a whole, there's all these different groups of people that are, that are here. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of U.S. military personnel yes. here as well. And then when you kind of focus in on Agat, even though Agat is not far from the naval base. Correct. There is primarily Chamorro and Filipino. Yes. And Korean. And Korean. A larger population of Koreans have begun to open stores. And so we have a lot more Korean population in this area now. So your target uh, population would be pretty much all from either Guam, uh, Pacific Islanders, or Asians. Yes. In the congregation now, what what uh, different population groups or people groups do you have attending church? We have Filipino, Chamorro, uh, Saipanese, uh, people from Saipan who have moved here, um, and Chuk. Okay. So you have quite a mixture of people from the islands yes. and from Southeast Asia. Yes. And how's the ministry developing here? How's it going? It's going. It's slow going, but it's going. Um, we are presented with some challenges in that we are in a predominantly Catholic area, um, and it is a generational issue. Um, everyone, you know, back as far as everybody remembers was Catholic, and so that's why they're Catholic. It's not that they understand their faith any differently um, a lot of them will tell us that they don't know why they go to the Catholic Church. They just do because their family did. Um, but they don't have that personal relationship with Christ, and that's what we're trying to develop with everyone that we meet, and we're, we're trying to um, emphasize the importance of that relationship. Um, the island uh, people from Chuk and Yap, they don't have a religious basis. They don't have any kind of experience, the ones that we have coming to church. Uh, we do a van ministry, and we pick up a lot of children in the neighborhood, um, and they've had no background with church at all. So they're learning from the, the very basics of, of what coming to church even means. Uh, so we have a lot of that to develop and to mature and to grow. So you just mentioned one of the ministry outreaches that you have, and that's a van ministry. What other type of ministry outreaches are you utilizing to, to reach the population? Back last summer, we had the opportunity to do Samaritan's Purse, and they we passed out shoe boxes, and then we backed that up with our Vacation Bible School, and it really got um, a lot of kids coming, just knowing the church is open again. So it was almost like a good grand opening thing. <clears throat> and then also we have a Sablon Elementary School right across the road. We The teachers have finally, finally warmed up to us. We've done an outreach with another organization, passed out shoes, school vouchers, and Bibles. And we, Kathy has been working with a school nurse, giving supplies. When home churches back home send paper, pencils, stuff that could be used for school, we take it over to the school and tell them to, to use it however they need it. 
and they've reached out to us for some, some needs and stuff like that. So the school across the street is, is going to be make a huge impact. I believe this church is going to make it or not because like everywhere around the world, everybody cares about their kids. And here they have a lot of kids. And so we, uh, we're using that to utilize that. We also use our van um, that was gifted to us by Jigo Baptist Church uh, to help people to get their documents that they need to be able to get jobs and to be able to get food stamps and assistance for their families. Um, so taking them to get their ID cards or birth certificates or Social Security cards and then be able to file the paperwork in order to get those assistance programs that help their family to advance. Um, most of the community around us is on some sort of state aid. It's a very low-income area. And so helping them to get those basic needs met uh, has been a huge ministry as well. So you find yourself in the facilitator mode oftentimes in your, in your effort to help people. Yes. Has that been effective uh, so far? And in, in, uh, do, do you see some progress being made? We do. Um, we have two families who now are attending church as family units, uh, which is very important. And it's something that even across the denomination and many churches, you know, churches are struggling to get family units with parents and children attending church. And so the ministry of us helping to get them where they need to go to get their documents and to get that done gives us the opportunity to speak with them on the drive to and from as a family unit and, and emphasize that importance. And so that has a couple of family units attending church together. So we're seeing mom, dad, and kids attending church. How can the people who are listening best pray for you and your ministry as you try to reach um, Southeast Asians and, or Asians and uh, Pacific Islanders? I think just the prayer of opening their hearts just to hear the gospel, to read the Bible. I mean, a lot of people like to say we claim to Catholicism here, but they're very biblical illiterate in this village. And I think opening their hearts and minds just to go home and read the Bible. Don't 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 take what I say to heart. That's fine, but go home. Here, read this. And we give out, I tell everybody, you don't have a Bible, I'll bring you a Bible. And we got Bibles under the, the under the chairs. And when they go up missing, we'll order more. And so we encourage them to read and, and grow that way. But also ask questions. One of the big things we get here is um, you know, the the priest says, just don't worry about it. And here we try to answer questions. So just pray their hearts and minds will be open to the gospel and family units be open to gospel and I think that'd be the huge way to help us just and pray for our family sometimes we want to pray other people but we do need prayer for our family we do get homesick we do have spiritual battles amongst ourselves we have two teenage kids and and all the struggles that you have there in the states we have here in Guam and so we do I do pray for prayer for my family to keep us you know safe and spiritually safe and and refreshed. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us this week on the Doing Together podcast. I want to thank Pastor Mark for hosting these interviews, and I personally want to thank Stephen Dame, Skyler and Kathy Brantley, and Joyce Porcadilla Rubia uh, for being honest and transparent and sharing what God is doing in and through them uh, as they serve Jesus faithfully uh, in the Asian Pacific Theater. Uh, it's vital to hear what God is doing, not just in uh, the local church in America or the local church right down the street, but to know that God is moving locally on the other side of the world is so encouraging and so powerful. Uh, maybe this is the first time you've been exposed to some of these global fields. I want to encourage you and I want to invite you uh, that you can be a part. Reach out to Pastor Mark. Uh, reach out to him at mark.pal at General Baptist Ministries. If you're interested in either uh, a mission field in any of these fields we've talked about today or any of the other great uh, mission opportunities we have uh, with General Baptist Global Missions, uh, I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to access our content. And please leave us a review. It's a, one of the best ways to help people find our content. And it's a great way for you to stay informed. Thank you for joining us today. And we will see you on the next episode of the Doing Together podcast.